0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is
1: Believe. Check out the Hog Talk Podcast, the newest edition of the Hit That Line Podcast Network. Find it on hitthatline.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: You're listening to the Hog Talk Podcast, part of the Believe and Hit That Line podcast network.
2: When it's on the line, it's... The voice of the Arkansas Razorback,
0: shut there. A former guest of the show, Coach Mike Neighbors from the Arkansas women's basketball team.
2: We have from ESPN's Around the Horn, Highly Questionable. Also a two time Dan Levitard Show SUI winner and a <laughs> former heptathlete at Cornell, Sarah Spain.
0: And we are happy to be joined by Martrell Spate. Mr. Phil Elson, the voice of Razorback Baseball and the Ladybacks. Razorback Nation, welcome into the one and only Hog Talk Podcast, live from the Heineman Services Studios. I'm your Monday host, Kyle Sutherland, alongside Porter Hayes and Coach Kevin Bohan, and we thank you, as always, for tuning in to episode number 143, and while you guys are listening, if you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe to the pod. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you listen. We are there, and while you have it pulled up, if you can go ahead and just leave us a written review, preferably give us a five-star rating, that would really help us out to reach more people and we've made it through 2020 we're on to 2021 the first show of the year guys I know uh, you know with little kids and all that it's a lot a lot of fun for the holiday season but I can imagine for adults like us we are probably happy to have a fresh start cable I'll start with you how was your holiday season
1: we had a really good time 10 month old it was her first Christmas and she kind of knew what was going on she had a really good time we had all the family to our house but they didn't have to travel anywhere, so that was a plus. Just got to spend some time with friends and family. It was a really good time. New Year's it was really toned down quite a bit from the from the previous, you know, probably twenty that I spent out and about. But yeah, the wife and I got to spend some time together, and it was just a really good time. Watch some football, watch some basketball, and just got ready for a twenty twenty one that we feel is going to be our best year yet. So, uh, professionally, personally, we're looking forward to it. Yeah,
2: I, was, I actually had to work Christmas and New Year's, um, so being, being a low man on the total pole where I'm at, so I, but I didn't have to start till 10, so I got to see the kids open their gifts, and we I uh, we went to work, and then come back, and then me and my wife, we always like to do our gifts, you know, separate. We It's kind of like a tradition we have, so we got some cool stuff. I got this nice new Blue Yeti mic that sounds really cool, so I'm really excited about that, and New Year's, we went over and with a couple of friends and just hung out. And but having to work New Year's, I was the DD. So you know, it's it's kind of one of them things that you want to go out and have a good time, but you have to be safe at the same time.
0: Yeah, that was uh, my my Christmas was was really good. I got everything that I needed, which was really not much. My family, I think, like a lot of people, are normally once I want something, I usually just go get it if it's not completely outrageously priced. But got a lot of stuff for the kitchen, like I said on on last week's pod, and so I, I love to cook, and so I was really happy to to get that. I got an air fryer, which is amazing. I actually, just uh, whipped up my own little recipe with some. I like to call them some red and orange pepper fries uh, that I did in there, just put a little seasoning and some canola oil on there. And uh, so, been good there. And I did like my typical thing with New Year's. I don't really do a whole lot. I think I drink a total of like a 16-ounce beer, watched a little bit of football, and Just kind of relaxed, you know, just uh, before we get back into the groove of things, but we will start off with what we have as breaking news right now. Uh, As we always say, when it's breaking news for us, it won't be once the show drops, but uh, Justin Stepp has the wide receiver coach for the University of Arkansas has taken the same spot at the University of South Carolina. Now there were some Razorback media outlets that uh, said that that was not going to be a chance, but it turns out that that is the case and um, He's going home, and you can't really blame him. He's from Pelley in South Carolina. I mistakenly posted Pelican South Carolina, thanks to AutoCorrect, earlier, and some South Carolina fans gave me a little grief about that. But, you know, this is a really tough loss, guys, especially from a recruiting standpoint. The only holdover from the Chad Morris staff that got the number one recruiting class in 2019 in terms of receivers after a 2-10 season, and just a very beloved coach on this staff. And so, you know, this year, this class for the 2021, he got Keetron Jackson, uh, a top ESPN 300 recruit out of Texas, and then also Rocket Sanders, one of the top athletes in the country out of Florida. And so, nonetheless, a really, really big loss. But, but Cable, I'll start with you. You got to expect that Coach Pittman will make the best hire possible, and there's plenty of options out there.
1: Definitely, and the one name that's coming to the top of the list right away is one of his former co-workers Michael Smith who is with the Arkansas Razorbacks from 2013 to 2016 somebody that coach Pittman is very familiar with he's been he's at Kansas State and that is a name to watch out for I know there's a lot of people out there that want to see names like Anthony Lucas Chris Gregg uh, some former players that's not the route we want to go right now this is a coaching staff that is recruiting at a high level top 25 yes it's only top nine or ten in our conference but we're recruiting on a regional and national level. So we need those coaches that are used to that. And I think coach Pittman will, I think he'll have somebody that Arkansas fans are familiar with, and it'll be somebody that can really relate to in-state coaches, the high school coaches and the coaches around the region.
2: Yeah. He really played a key role in, and getting those receivers to come back after the Morris area. And it kind of hits me as a fan because he's going to South Carolina and, you know, Clemson's really been able to get some of those receivers and and really get like a Justin Ross and T Higgins. So, kind of concerns me if if he's going to go in there to South Carolina and and try to snag some of those uh, wide receivers away from from the recruiting base. But another name I'm hearing is is Colorado State's wide receivers coach Kenny Gilton. So that's another one. I mean, this is like a really fast going process. So we're already hearing names. So it makes you wonder how long this has been going on you know beneath the scenes and what another thing that concerns me is will any of these receivers these people that didn't get much time last year will they follow him to South Carolina
0: well and I question that too but then you look at so I I don't know that Shamar Nash has which of course step was uh he recruited him in the 2019 class I don't know that he's chosen a destination if he has I haven't seen it but you got to think that this is an extremely attractive job. Now, Sam Pittman, with what he did, and it, it obviously changed the culture as we've talked about so many different times. But you're a receiver's coach and you think about the guys that you can come in to coach. Traylon Burks is probably going to be a first, a third round receiver, definitely a first round talent. If there's anybody that has that talent on this team, it's him. You got a guy like Mike Woods, who had a really, really good end towards the back end of the season, won a lot of one on one matchups, and we've seen what he can do, an extremely fast guy. You got Davion Warren coming back, the senior for, I guess, his second senior year after tearing his ACL. And then you've got, again, Keatron Jackson and Rocket Sanders coming in. You've got a pretty solid nucleus there at receiver. And so to think that this that somebody could come in, Coach Traylon Burks in particular for one year and have on their resume that you put a receiver. Now I'm not saying that it would be all on that coach, but it still it looks great to have on your resume that you can that you put a first to second maybe third round, I think again, first second round talent. To have that on your resume is really, really big. And you got to think with the upward trend that this program is on, that that it is going to be extremely attractive for whoever does take the
2: job. Yeah, the the culture and and that's what another, somebody was saying at Iowa State coach might be interested, but you know, Campbell's really built a similar culture there. So I don't see that happening. But you know, with the players now the wide receivers and if they think about following and You know, wide receiver, you're looking at your quarterback situation. You don't even know what the quarterback situation is at South Carolina. Helensky's gone, and they don't know who their backup is. So we really don't know what our quarterback situation is in here. Is it going to be KJ and Malik or or Coley? We don't know. So it's going to be a tricky situation when you're wide receiver and you're deciding, do I follow my coach to – you know, somewhere where we don't know who's going to be throwing me the ball or stay at a place where at least the quarterbacks that are there, we have some kind of continuity and and rhythm going.
0: Before we get into men's and women's basketball, we're going to switch over to that here in a second. I want to tell everyone about our new sponsor alert that we have going into 2021, our newest sponsor that we have connected with, and that being Manscaped, our friends over there, that we have uh, formed that partnership through the Believe podcast network that we are a part of along we're with the Believe podcast network and then also the Hit That Line ESPN Arkansas podcast network but fellows did you know that one man every hour every day is diagnosed with testicular cancer and Manscaped has made it a part of their mission partnering with the testicular cancer society to bring awareness to this disease in order to protect men's health issues and cancer risks so you can visit them today at manscaped.com for special offers and all their great products including the Plow 2.0 the lawnmower 3.0 and the weed whacker and much more. So make manscaping a habit. Make sure to visit them for all of their special offers. And guys, it was. We'll start with. Uh, I'll tell you what. We'll start with the bad stuff. Uh, the men's basketball team just had a really, really tough outing on Saturday against Mizzou. One of the worst shooting performances in school history. They shot twenty eight or twenty six point eight percent from the field, which is the third worst in an SEC game, worst in Bud Walton Arena history. I think that Bud Walton was built the year that we won the national championship, so we're looking at about 26 years ago. So quite a bit of time there, just a a really, really bad performance. And the worst all-time was 21.95%, so basically 22% against Mississippi State in 2003. But any way you look at it, just not a really good game Now, I'll I'll get into – I I posted my opinion on this. Uh, I I thought that Coach Musselman – and I'm going to say this on the pod, and I'm going to move past it because it's really not that big of a deal. It's not something I'm going to hold against him. I think that it happens to plenty of coaches, as we've seen so many times in various sports. But I thought at the the reasoning – well, I shouldn't say the reasoning. I thought that the situation that the Razorbacks were in, shooting as bad as they did – And Coach Musk getting tossed. Now, the refs called a horrible game. We can say that all the time. That seems to be a lot of what many fan bases go to when their teams lose a game. But here's what Coach Musselman uh, had to say. uh, I believe it was Scotty Bordelon uh, from WholeHogSports.com that asked this question. But this was talking about the the missed shots that they had uh, in the game against Missouri Saturday.
1: Yeah, Coach, you mentioned the struggles at the rim. What do you think – contributed to that i think the stat broadcast system said you guys were eight of 30 today that's about uh probably about five more than i thought we were um tillman's a you know i mean he's a big body in there he played phenomenal no question um to my knowledge they had one block shot again i I don't have all the stats in front, but to to my knowledge, there was one shot blocked. Um, So, you know, I tip our hats to Missouri. Coach Martin did a great job defensively. I got to get better, and, uh, you know, that's what we'll start doing, getting ready for Tennessee.
0: Now, you know, I respect the whole thing. Coach Musselman's notorious for taking blame. He's the head coach. I, I respect that. I love Eric Musselman. I'm thankful that he's our coach. I, I don't want. I'll truly say it and mean it when I do spit out that I don't want anybody else running this program other than what he has built at at this point in his career. There, we've had Danielle, his wife, on the pod. We've had Michael Musselman, his son. The uh, the uh, I think it's title. I know he's he's in the recruiting. I can't remember his exact title, but we've had the, both them on the show, and and very thankful that they're on campus. And uh, I think that he said it best that look i mean he called it what it is we shot really bad but uh but guys i'll just I, I just think that uh the situation that that we were in considering the fact that you got beat that bad i just really don't understand um the reasoning for the ejection but we'll we'll talk about more so about the game i'll you know i'll let you guys respond to that but uh just a really really bad performance when you have a when you don't have Justin Smith, who, which is obviously a really tough loss, out three to six weeks after a really big win on the road at Auburn, how are you feeling? Kevin, I'll start with you. How are you feeling going to – and I know it's tough going into Tennessee, but just through the next couple of games, So, what is your mindset for this team?
1: On Friday's podcast, I said, look, we're, we're back at home. This is a great game for us to come out. We're in our own bed, own depth perception, our own rims. We should play well against Missouri. And I thought we would go one and two over this next three-game stretch. you got Missouri at home, then you got Tennessee on the road, and then you got Georgia. I did not think it would be one of the worst shooting performances in Razorback history. And I will give credit to where credit is due. Missouri returned 85% of their scoring. Tillman Kidd is phenomenal down low, 6'10". And like Coach Mo said, they only had one block shot. But they stayed true to their – game plan of stopping our dribble drive offense we jacked up i believe it was 28 three pointers yeah we were 7 of 28 from three so we weren't attacking and finishing Uh, we were eight of 30 for the game and only 50 percent of the year so we have got to get better finishing at the rim it's they're not always going to call a foul even though there were 57 called on saturday they're not always going to call it so we have to take it upon ourselves to finish and i'll just leave it at that it, it is what it is and kind of move on past it. it we were lucky that it was close throughout most of the game it was only a 13 point ball game when you look at how bad we shot so we were very fortunate missouri's a good ball club even though they came off a 20 point loss they were looking for to get back on the horse as well i hate that we have to go into a tenant against a tennessee team that just lost to alabama like they did so we're going to have to, and this is part of the growing pains that we had. Musselman tried to mix up the lineup. He used a lot of different uh, rotations out there. He had 10 different players that played. So this is part of the chemistry that we've been talking about on the podcast that we've got to figure out. We're only 10 games into the season. It is our first really puff test, I would say. So how we bounce back from this is how the season's going to go, guys. Yeah.
2: I mean, it's SC play. You know, look what we talked about. Missouri come off a loss. Now we're going to Tennessee. They just come off a loss. We're coming off a loss. You you never know what's going to happen on a given day when an SEC. It's a really tough league, even though some of the teams, the records might not, you know, represent that. But who who's seen Tennessee, who was undefeated, who beat Missouri by 20, get beat by Alabama at home. You know, it wasn't a road game. And, and then this year – we got to look at the fact that there's no road away game really when the, the crowds are not an issue there wasn't 19-2 in that game uh, against Missouri to really help you know get get a spark for the team to play it looked like they just I mean defensively they played really good I was really impressed with Jalen Williams to get in there and play and get a nice block so I mean there was some positives on defense to look at that but when, when your top three shooters go five for 35 shooting, we, we mentioned the eight for 30 on layups. You know, Connor's inability to score, I mean, 7-3, and he has the inability to really score at, you know, 0 for 11. 7-3, and he's 0 for 11 in the game. I mean, it's just a bad game. I mean, this is where coaching comes in and maturity comes in. You know, we can transition that to, to, to the women. You know you're coming off of a a loss where you thought you should have had it. They had one really big score, and then they come back tonight and and pull off a, a gritty win. So this is really going to test the maturity of the team, their first taste at loss, their first taste at really the the, the fan base, and you know this is a, a unique fan base that you could be nine and one, and you think that you're one and nine. So, <laughs> but we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. But the coach deal. The, you know, and I'll touch on Kyle's point with Coach. If he was trying to make the point to fire up his team, is a little bit late. But you can't – and this is more to the fans. You cannot blame the refs when you go five for 35, you know, six for – it was what, six for 18, something like that. But you can't blame that on refs when you go eight for 30 on the layups. No, you know, Porter,
0: you took it right out of my mouth right there. It was – you know, is. You just can't, and I, and I said that yesterday too. You just can't put it on the refs now, and also too. Uh, that's something I didn't mention when I was defending myself yesterday on social. media. Now I didn't have any, I didn't have anybody like coming at me hard, you know, just some disagreements, which is expected. That's the reason why I post things. I, I truly don't post things to get a rile out of people. I do it for, for healthy debate, and I feel like that they, for the most part, that is usually successful. And, yeah, you just can't put it on the refs. And and the fact that he did it when he did it was just really bad timing. And, again, I'm not holding it personal against the guy. I'm just saying for this particular game, I think that it was just a really bad move. And so I think that moving forward that they're not going to shoot this – they'll probably never shoot this bad under again, at least under Muss. There was, going along with the bad – The I, I mentioned that there was bad officiating. I did at least say that. 57 fouls called. That's tied for fourth most all-time. Uh, for the Razorback games played, and then I think 59 was what was called on February 8th, which is the set, which is a second most all time, and has been called four different times in Razorback basketball history. So there's no doubt that there was some questionable officiating on both sides. But you know, guys, you we've all we we've all three of us have watched about a combined 100 years of sports, whether it be basketball, baseball, football. I have never once in my life seen a referee throw a touchdown. I've never once in my life seen a referee hit a basket. I've never once in my life seen an umpire hit a home run. At the end of the day, like you said, you don't see successful good teams. I I, I can't really think of many times, maybe just a handful, that you have seen successful teams blame a referee for a game.
2: And I I think a lot of it is the the fan base as a whole. You know, they've not matched heads success when it comes to football and basketball and even baseball when they're losing, I think they grasp onto that ref. That's an easy scapegoat to really say, well, because it's, it's happened in games like the Auburn game and it's happened in the Florida game, baseball games, football games. So when they lose, they, they go back to that thing that they're used to. Well, let's just bring the, the refs. We've seen some bad calls. Yes, there was bad calls, but did that really change the outcome of a game? And, and for that one, I learned in high school in the chemistry class, for every rule there's an exception. That Auburn game was that exception, and I said that afterwards. It really did change the outcome of the game. Did the LSU calls change the outcome of the game? No, they played flat. Now this one. So those refs' calls, that's where you really have to take that step back. Did the refs' call change the outcome of the game or your – your emotions and your, you're wanting to play. No, it didn't. You know, even if he wouldn't have called those fouls or or gave you more calls your way, you're, you're still shooting that horrible from the field. So therefore you can't, you can't blame the refs in that situation.
1: And I've even had it held to me before having been official at the collegiate level, high school level at a state tournament game semifinal a couple of years ago. It stills home. Called him safe. Didn't think he tagged him. Well, that team ended up losing four to three. That was the game winning run. It was my fault. I probably still need to look over my back whenever I go through said town in Southeast Arkansas, but it was the three runs that they gave up before that and didn't pull the pitcher in time that led to where they were at that moment. So there's always going to be critical calls. And like Porter said, there's rules and there's an exception to the rule. And, At that moment in time in the Auburn game, yes, it made a huge difference in the outcome. But, yeah, we we can look at it all day long and say, yeah, there's always going to be bad officiating, guys. But as a fan base, I'm asking everybody to look at this with a big picture in mind. It doesn't have to be our perception that we're getting cheated all the time when something like this happens. We play – we are who we are, and Coach Pittman said that multiple times this past football season. These guys are where they are at on the depth chart, and it, we are where we are as a program. We lost the 2018 World uh, College World Series because we dropped a potential game-winning foul ball. It wasn't anybody else's fault at that moment. So looking at the whole big picture, that's all I ask the fans to do because it's not always going to be the rest. We always sometimes just got to take a look in the mirror to say, we got to get better. And that's just it.
0: That's that's pretty much what I was trying to get my point across. Some people took it the wrong way. And I'm not I'm not pointing at anybody in particular. That's just all I was trying to say. I fully support this team. I fully support this coach. I love how he fights for his players. I've seen it plenty of times during a timeout or right after something big that happened, whether it was a bad foul or whatever the case may be. Um, I, I, I'm not worried at all. I had said plenty of times, I think maybe two, three weeks before we started Conference play that we could start off 0-3. That's obviously not going to happen. We're one and one in conference, but I still think that this is going to be a top four team when it's all said and done. But like we said, it doesn't get any easier. They've got uh Tennessee in Knoxville, number seven, Tennessee at six on ESPN two this Wednesday, January 6th. Now the balls are coming off a 71 to 63 home loss to Alabama. So I'm sure that's not going to be any fuel to their fire that they're wanting to uh, take out on the Razorbacks. Now, the worst loss of eric Musselman's career and i'm just doing this off the top of my head so i think the worst loss of his young arkansas career was at tennessee wasn't wasn't that the the worst one when they got blown out pretty bad last year i want to say it was maybe last february
1: yeah i think you're right on that yeah
0: so it's uh it, it's not looking good you know right now but after that you got a georgia team coming in not that anybody's going to be a slack off but you got uh, georgia coming in right after that next saturday i believe that game's at 2:30 next Saturday. And so we'll transition over to the women who uh, did have a uh, big win over the Mizzou Tigers, 91 to 88 at home after dropping their SEC opener at Kentucky 75-64. And Porter, I'll start with you on this one. You were in the uh, press conference with Coach Neighbors afterwards. What was the mood like after that?
2: Just thankful to you come off the game with a win. I mean, it was a 91-88 finish. I mean, it was a three-point game, but he he stated after he's like, "Look, that last three was de- desperation." He didn't want any of his players anywhere near that to try to pick up the fouls. So, but very gritty game. I mean, Missouri just wouldn't go away. Uh, they Blackwell had a, a stellar game from Missouri. She just, I mean, it seemed like Arkansas just couldn't put the game away. But yet, it seemed like on Missouri's end, they they couldn't really you know, take over the game and, and really get things on their side. And Blackwell it with 20 points, but when you look at Arkansas' size, Dungy went off. I mean, she had 25 tonight, and, and they shot really well from the free throw line at the end. I mean, other than Barnum going one for six with the free throw line, Ramirez come up with the big clutch free throws at the end to really, really seal the game. And when I analyzed the basketball game, you know, if it's a close game, there's always going to be those fouls. So it was a three-point game, but I say like a legit five because you're always going to get those added points because of the free throws at the end, and they're going to try to shoot up desperation shots. So, But overall, really good a performance. Michaela Daniels went down at the end a little bit. Uh, it looked like uh, she was in the post trying to guard Blackwell. Blackwell kind of swiped to uh, – game position and it knocked her down. And then when she went up for the shot, she come down on Michaela, but she come right back out. So I, I don't know. We didn't even mention that in the press conference. So when I'm sure with, you know, how fast everything goes after a game between the press conference and, and coach don't really address the team after the game. So I, I think we'll find out tomorrow or the next day, um, her, um, her status on her ability to play, but they got Tennessee coming up. So they got another big game. You know, they went into Kentucky and ran into a buzz saw on the SEC player of the year, Ryan Howard, and and it just looked like she was she was all as advertised. Man, I can't remember exactly how many?
0: Yeah, she was great, man. Like I, I'll tell you, that was yeah. a little—that was a little dirty. What she did to Destiny, I, I want to say it was like maybe two, three right. minutes left in the game. That was dirty, and i and i will be like, you know hey, what?
2: I want to see that though. It's, it's <laughs> almost like we talk about when Arkansas played UNLV, yeah, and they told Nolan, dude, you need to get some man man men. Some men. I, <laughs> some men. Yeah. I think that's what she was doing, and I think that's part of the competitiveness. I think you need to bring back a little bit because you know what. If she's sitting there standing over there flexing, that's like, all right, I'm challenging you step up and let's play ball. So, you know, it's one of them things that, you know, it gets in your mind. And if you're always looking for a foul or you let somebody stand over you and they're going to call a foul and you're going to shoot free throws, it it makes you softer. You know, I want them to take that as like, okay, you stand over me. I'm about to put a three in your face. So that's what I want to see. And tonight, the girls played hard, you know, they're, they're getting banged up. Now they're starting to play in this true SEC season where you know, you're playing two SEC opponents a week. It's a, the toughest conference in America, in my opinion. So, you know, Tennessee, you know, they're, they're starting to build their team back up. And, you know, I, I make anxious to see, you know, it's going to be on the road and, and Tennessee's got that historical, you know, that history, you know, I know they haven't been too successful, you know, in recent years, but they're one of them schools like a Stanford Baylor and a UConn and now South Carolina. So, but I was really impressed with Michaela Daniels. She had 16 points. Yeah. She had a little bit two from eight from the three point line, but other than that, I mean, the team really played. And this is one thing I did mention to coach. If y'all had a chance to watch the game, their inside post defense was really good. They were really keying in. They got one of their bigs in foul trouble. So they were really able to force a lot of turnovers and, and get the ball back and, and close out the game.
1: Yeah, and we stayed out of foul trouble. I think we only had 12 on the night. Uh, Taylor Thomas had four fouls uh, as opposed to Missouri having 26. They had three that had four more fouls. And going back to the point, the point that Porter made, of how well we shot free throws down the stretch. We only shot 39% from the floor for the game, but we were 23 of 31 from the line. That's huge. And Missouri shot 52%. So things need to break like that at certain points to win a game like this. It wasn't the best. It was kind of sloppy. So in the flow of it kind of had a feel to the Auburn for the men from last week. I never really thought that Arkansas was in jeopardy of losing this game. It just... Missouri just kept hanging around, hanging around, hanging around. So, uh, kudos to Coach Neighbors and, and his ladies for getting another win. And yeah, like you said, uh, Tennessee's up next, and the the history that comes with Tennessee—they're not where they you know have been in the past, but it's always going to be Tennessee, and it's always going to be a big game for us to get up for. So, looking forward to uh, seeing that here in the next week.
0: Yeah, Tennessee 6 and 1. You go to them and then you got number 9 Texas A&M coming to you. I'm just looking at this January schedule. It's pretty brutal. 7 and 3 Florida coming to you. Then you go to South Carolina, number 5 on January 18th. Yeah, it's going to be uh it's going to be tough, but hey, you know, we've got the team to do it. It's just it's it, continuously can we get some inside presence? Like I've always said, I love Taylor Thomas. I love what she's done. I think she had a couple of block shots there. I know she definitely had one. I, I want to say it was maybe two, but uh, done some really good things there, but uh, you just you know how can they stay consistent with that? We know what their backcourt can do, and uh, so just uh, got to continue that on there. And again, January seventh, five thirty on SEC Network, they take on the Tennessee Volunteers in Knoxville. We're up against a break really quick, and then when we get back. We will uh, talk about uh, the New York Six and some of the bowl games. Mike Leach added again. Man, um, I'm telling you, I don't know what in the world was going on there. I've got some thoughts on that, but we're also going to introduce a new segment to you guys before we close out the show. Stay with us. We will be right back. The Hawk Talk podcast is brought to you by Heinemann Services. Heinemann Services is a family owned and operated business whose work ethic and customer service will restore your confidence in Handyman. They offer interior and exterior projects for your home or business, including repairs, installations, small remodels, landscaping, decks, fencing, and much more. Call Corey and his crew today at 479-347-9336. That's 479-347-9336. Located in Fayetteville, Rapology is your top spot for banners, signs, and wraps. From commercial fleet wraps, color changes, vinyl decals, and much more, they take care of you in a timely and professional manner. Call Rapology today at 479-368-6490. Again, that's 479-368-6490. We're back on episode number 153 of the Hog Talk podcast. Kyle Sutherland, Kevin Bohan, and Porter Hayes, and we are going to discuss some of the New Year's six bowls. There was a lot of blowouts. That uh, a lot of surprises there. I know that I Porter not trying to uh, ruffle any feathers, but I was definitely shocked with. Uh, I think a lot of us were with how the Ohio State and uh, Clemson game went. Ohio State definitely came out looking for blood. They were listening to what Dabo Swinney had said. They uh, were listening to what the outside world had said about them, and and I think that we knew that this was going to be a team that was going to be a force to be reckoned with had they played a full season they have the talent yes on paper they're a top four team but I still stand by that I think they proved that they belong with these teams but I still stand by that they probably shouldn't have gotten in initially Uh, just because of the framework that other teams have had and just playing six games um, I mean I I still believe that, that that is to be true but Nonetheless, they could be going uh, on a kind of type tour that they had in uh, 2014 during the first year when they a lot of people expected them not to be in. But uh, you know, I know that you had mentioned in our group chat the other night. You know, Clemson has some work to do on the offensive line, and they were missing a couple pieces on defense. I know that uh, they had a guy get ejected. Talk about that game and it's just kind of some things that uh, maybe you were shocked by or something that you were kind of you were kind of skeptical of going into it.
2: Well. Ohio State is a good team. Uh, I can't say anything. I don't want to make any excuses because there was none. Our our second order just got torched. I mean, when Justin Fields has got a a broken rib or a hurt rib and he's just chunking the ball 65 yards down the field and the receivers are wide open. And and another thing was, you know, Ryan Day, and I told you all this in, in, in the chat, Ryan Day is like Brent Venables is kryptonite, you know, he had a really good running back in Sermon, and and it seemed like every time that Venables would stunt and slant his line, it would be a counter, or Sermon would cut back, and it would just—I mean, his whole line was stunning or slanting to the left, and then he—the whole left side of the field was wide open. Um, Dabo run his mouth. I mean, I'll—I'll I'll say that. You know, he shouldn't have. You know, he—he he was petty for, you know, especially a team that. You just lost you the previous year. You've seen where they had the scoreboard up all season long. Now to hear that you don't belong, you don't qualify, the Big Ten, you know, made all these rules change, which is true. You know, I I, I could take my fan off for a minute and say they didn't belong. They only played six games. They changed the rule just to get them into the playoff. And then when the game was over, they changed the quarantine rule so now all the players that were out for the North Northwestern game, now they're eligible to play for the Clemson game. So there's all those factors that really just added salt to the wound of why everybody was saying they didn't believe get in. But putting my fan back hat back on, it was just total domination. I mean, you know, and, and a lot of this that sort of people aren't even saying is, we, we didn't have our OC. Tony Elliott wasn't there calling the place. And it seemed like, when they were trying to get the edge, hit the edge, and they were having successful with, with doing that on the game plan, they started going away from it and going up the middle. So, I mean, there were so many ways to to point on what went wrong, but it it, it just went back to the last year's LSU game. You know, Clipson just couldn't get things rolling, and Ohio State was just doing everything they could, and they definitely deserved the win. And, you know, it's it, good luck to them against Alabama next week.
0: Yeah, and I'll tell yeah, you – t- or go, go, ahead, Camo. go ahead,
1: Yeah, they attacked them vertically, and we, we've seen in the past that's kind of where uh, Clemson is a little deficient at, on, on the back end back there, even as high-powered as they are. I wish that Travis and TN would have been a little bit more involved, but it, it is what it is. At the end of the day, Ohio State said at the beginning of the year this is probably going to be one of their best teams ever. Uh, unfortunately for everybody else, they're just in midseason form right now, only being in their seventh game. Alabama's going to be playing their 13th game. And we can talk about them in a sec, but, uh, yeah, I hate, I hate it. I was hoping to see Alabama Clemson for the 463rd time. I think it was going to be a really good uh, shootout, but kudos to Ryan Day and Ohio State. They came ready to play.
0: Yeah, and the, the, you talked about Alabama. Just It seemed like they were – I don't want to say not trying, but it was just they were playing pitch and catch. Now, their defense yeah. – uh, I'll, I'll say Notre Dame actually played a, a, a much tougher game than I think that people were giving them credit for. I mean, there really wasn't anybody – I would say Ole Miss, I can't think of anybody off the top of my head that played them really uh, that tight this year because there was just nobody that could keep up with them. You you think about the offensive line, that's one thing that's overlooked. Clay Henry, the Hogs Illustrated publisher, had said that there was probably four out of these five offensive linemen that could have been put on just about every All-American team. Now, they're not going to do that because they're not going to fill up all those spots despite the media's love for Alabama. But you think about that, the talent on that offensive line, then you got Devonta Smith. Now I know Jalen Waddell's been out for basically half the season, and J- John Mechie, and all these guys that you did, uh, and uh, oh my gosh, the running back—he's Najee Harris. Najee, all, all those guys. I mean, Najee, you know, the, like, he was out of high school. It was looking like it was going to come down to Alabama and Michigan, and it did. And many thought that he was. Gonna, I have a lot of friends, or a couple of friends, that are big time Michigan fans, and they kept swearing to me up and down, "He's coming to Michigan. He's coming to Michigan." Well, then he goes to Alabama, and he really wasn't living up to the kind of hype that he had coming out. He was good, but he was like a third or fifth round grade back as opposed to now possibly being top 10, 15, 20. Definitely a first rounder, no question. You just have all these weapons. And, and most coaches, when they say like, hey, this player's got one or two great players, what are you going to do? Well, we're not going to try to slow them. We're not going to try to stop him. We're just going to try to slow them down. You can't do this against an Alabama offense. I don't care if they've got Waddle or not. Devontae Smith should, without question, I think he might have actually sealed up The Heisman trophy. He should have already had it before this semifinal game, but I think that he will definitely win the Heisman now. I just don't see how you do not give it to him. He is the, I know that the Heisman has become like the nation's best quarterback and all this stuff, but he is without question the best player in the country. I do not think it is even. Close. I just don't. I think that overall, pound for pound, as a returner, as a receiver, just the way he runs rounds, yeah, yeah, everything. I mean, you, you can think about just whatever you want to look at. He is, without question, the best player in the country right now. And... Ohio State has a lot of speed. I really like what Trey Sermon does. Justin Fields was really, really on a mission. I respected the fact that he, Now I know there was some controversy about the whole thing that went on in the tent or whatever. You know, I I, I don't know if y'all saw those headlines, but whether he got shot up in the back, I, I don't know anything like that. But all I know is, is that was a gutsy performance for Justin Fields to take a shot like that to the kidney and then come back in. And this, I'm telling you, this this Ohio State team has a lot of speed too. Chris Olave, Trey Sherman, they are very, very, very fast. And, I think that their defense actually might be, and this is saying, you know, like on paper and what they showed against Clemson, that they might just be better. I'm not too sold on Pete Golding as a defensive coordinator at Alabama, since Jeremy Pruitt and Kirby Smart have left. That defense just has not been the same, and so I really don't know. I'm going to pick Bama in this one, but I just don't know. I, a lot of people think that they're just going to run away with this one too, but Ohio State is on a mission once again.
2: Yeah, I agree. He looked really impressive, uh, and it's going to be a good matchup. If you want to look at it, and I'll be honest, I, I think Clemson would have been embarrassed. I mean, because you've got Devonta Smith, and he should win the Heisman. I said that after just watching how explosive he is. You know, the, the Heisman goes to the most, I don't want to say valuable player, but, I mean, the most ex- explosive player, and, and he can do everything. And just the importance he has to that team. I mean, I know you got Najee Harris and Mac Jones, but who's Mac Jones throwing to? <laughs> you know, so I just think he should be the winner. I don't know if he will, but there's a lot of hype going towards him now being a wide receiver. But the matchup with Ohio State, it, it all depends on how really healthy Fields is. Uh, they didn't even give him a diagnosis. They didn't give him an X-ray and. And a lot of us Clemson fans were questioning that. It's was like, well, why didn't he get a diagnosis? Why didn't he get an x-ray? Because if they would have cleared him not eligible later the second half, it's like they were like, you're going to go out there. You're going to go out there and play. So, And I have mixed feelings about that, too, because these college players that, you know, everybody, you know, the testing, you know, they're not getting paid. And it's almost like that varsity blues situation. He can have a broke rib and Ryan Day's like, you're just going to go out there and play. I expect you to play. So that kind of, you know, rubbed me the wrong way on that aspect, but he's a competitor. He was a warrior and he, he truly proved that. And it's going to be a really interesting game come, come January 11th.
0: I know this is something that you guys and I, or what we all have talked about. Another thing we've mentioned in our group chat, it's a conversation every year and that's basically the SEC versus the world. Now I'll be honest from 2012, 2010 to 2012, I was one of those guys that really pumped the SEC chess. but that's because I really do believe from 2010 to 2012, the SEC probably was the best conference. Now, 2013 on, uh, there's all kinds of different debates. I just say that because, you know, Arkansas, Alabama, LSU at one point in 2011 were all contenders in the top three for the national championship before LSU just ended up blowing out Arkansas, but... Dan Mullen, I'm going to play this clip real quick right after. I really don't know how to take this guy. I, I think that uh, he was definitely kind of throwing shade at guys like Kyle Trask and guys like uh, the one, basically the, the starters this season that did play in their bowl game. I felt like after what he had said, this clip that I'm about to play, that he was kind of just throwing shade at the guys that had been playing all season and had been starters heavy contributors. I'll play it real quick and then we'll get a, uh, we'll get a reaction. But this is what he had to say after uh, Florida lost to, uh, to OU. I don't know. I look at the games that we played with the team that we were had,
1: we were supposed to have, you know, which we were, were a few this year, you know, SEC championship game. I think that was, uh, we we're, we we're close to having our team, the Georgia game. We kind of had our team there. Were, there are some games in the season where we had our team um, playing. And then there are a bunch that, you know, some that we didn't. Uh, just for all the extenuating
0: circumstances that happened. But, uh, you know, to me, uh, during the course of the year, you know, I, I kind of viewed I, – I, I guess maybe this is wrong. I, I viewed this game very – that wasn't the 2020 football team that you saw. I mean, there are about 25 guys missing off the 2020 football team out there tonight. Um, that was kind of like a, a kickstart for us for the future. A kickstart for us to the future. You've got one game left in your season that you just get absolutely blown out by. You've got Kyle Trask that at one point was on a lot of people's boards for the favorite for the Heisman. Now, I understand you don't have Kyle Pitts. You don't have Kendarius Toney. You don't have – I think it was like 81% of your offense. This whole thing about this narrative about the that SEC teams, when they lose, it's because they don't want to be there. First of all, it's one of the weakest arguments I think I've ever – heard that I have ever heard in my life. However, too, I will say on the flip side of that, it is possible to feel that way. I think we all probably – I I can speak for just about everybody in the hog talk that we probably all feel that way, but at the same time, too, I think that we can recognize, like, hey, if we're going to talk about, like, the records, like SEC went 6-2, and two, we do need to recognize, okay, come on now, like, they don't have a lot of their team. But at the same time, it shouldn't be used as an excuse. You should be able to have conversation, a civil conversation with someone and say, well, you do got to understand that we don't have Kyle Pitts, we don't have these guys – But for a coach to come out like that and to say those things. Now, maybe he didn't mean it like that. I feel that he did. That's how I took it. Kevin, I'll get your opinion first. I know you had quite a bit to say about it. Uh, I think that it was really just throwing his current guys under the bus.
1: Having been a coach for football and still coaching baseball during the summer and having a lot to do with these kids, there's an old saying in coaching that when you win a game, it's on the players. When you lose a game, it's on the coaches. And that has stayed tried and true to me and a lot of other guys that I consider colleagues. And for him to do this, not only through the, the guys that played, that played their heart out, some seniors that probably played their final game. Yeah, you have the chance to come back next year. That set aside. But the guys that were out there, what? how would you feel coming into a situation in 2021, though, in that? you were considered scout team, quote, unquote. And that that's what he said. Yeah, we had our scout team out there. I don't care what it is. He made the statement that before the game, we're so excited to be here. Well, it, well, I'm a big fan of the bowl season. I love being at the Cotton Bowl. And then post-game, after you get beat, you got kicked another way. You talk about Kickstarter. You got kicked for sure. But to make that statement, It just shows what kind of character Dan Mullen has. And I hope every recruit can take that to heart that's out there that's being recruited by Florida because it was the most underhanded, limey. I I just, your feelings towards Mike Leach and Ty's feelings towards Will Wade, Dan Mullen is that man for me now because this was, it was was a cheat. It was just a cheap shot towards his players. It was cheap. It was, oh, man, I I got so fired up when I heard it in the post-game press conference that. I just can't believe somebody like that gets to lead young men.
2: Yeah. It it was a total blankety blank move Um, (laughs) to to sit there and want more fans in your stands during COVID and you're sitting there agonizing a fight and pumping the crowd up, you know, and to sit there and throw those kids under the bus, you know, it's like when a team wins, they're like, Oh, we, we have this winning record over this conference. But when you lose, and to get blown out, now you're just – and it, I understand your point, Cabo, about the players and how they feel. But, man, don't pass the buck. Be a coach. Like, we came unprepared and we got beat. We didn't want to be here. Admit that, you know. Yeah. Hey, we felt like we got snubbed. Not Be honest. If, if he would have come out and said, man, we, we felt like we should have gotten the college football playoff. man. it really sucks. And we just don't feel like playing. You know what? It was. It would have been funny,
1: but you can respect you being honest.
2: Yeah, at least to be honest. But to come out and totally throw these kids under that have went through uh, again and again, and again, we can make the same point about what these players have done for free. Yeah, they got a college education, but you know what? I work. You work. How many of y'all get tested three times a week? How many times are y'all forced to? You're talking about social distancing. You think that they aren't social distanced? They've been. I mean, a lot of them didn't even get to look at Arkansas in the bowl game. And how many of them, the kids, didn't even get to be with their families on Christmas? And then two days later, come to find out, TCU says, "Oh, we're not going to play the bowl game." How, how do you think that felt to them? And so all these kids have been practicing since August and playing games for you, and then I don't care for your third string or the water boy, or you're on the support staff, or you're the medical trainer. How do you think that feels to them? Oh, if you're not Kyle Pitts or Kyle Trash, you don't matter. That's why I'm just as mad as it is you, are, Cable, because it's like you're degrading people because they're not the star. And I, like you said, I hope everybody, every recruit that thought about going to Florida decommits, because that's how he's going to treat you. If you're not that Heisman guy, you're not the number one receiver on his team, you see how he really feels about you. Because when you get salty and you lose, your true emotions come out.
0: Yeah, that really brought back a lot of memories from Chad Morris. Uh, just always passing the buck to somebody. There is no – I can think of a few people that it was more miserable to watch, a, especially a post-game presser. Now, when on his Monday press conferences previewing the next opponent – those were pretty brutal as well. He didn't really ever answer questions there. But after each loss, it was just the same consistent thing. And Or it was, you know, passing the buck to somebody. Or it was Joe Craddock blaming the offensive line or blaming somebody else. It was always somebody else's fault. And that just – it just really – I mean, you guys hit the nail on the head just kind of elaborating on what I had said initially. Like, uh, it's just a really bad look. Dan Mullen had already had – I'll be honest. When, man, when Dan Mullen was at Mississippi State, I actually was a really big fan. I, I mean – of course, Dak Prescott. I'm a big fan of being a Cowboys fan, which that was a really brutal, uh, brutal game today. But I, I really, I, I thought that Dan Mullen was a really, really good hire uh, for Florida, and I think that he's a great offensive mind. You look at his resume; uh, it's uh, it, you know all the way back to Alex Smith and Brian Johnson, who's now his offensive coordinator. Brian Johnson, of course, was the quarterback for Utah when they beat uh, when they beat Alabama in the Sugar Bowl, and I believe it was two thousand eight, two thousand nine. And, and onward and onward, it's just um, on to Dak and all those. Um, <laughs> just to say all that, it's just really – th- I think it will put a damper on recruiting, and I think that it really uh, is just a kick to the gut straight up to his current team. So we're going to introduce our uh, our new segment here to close out the show. Now, we, don't, we haven't really figured out a name. We're kind of uh, – I know that we've kind of bounced around. I wouldn't really say it's a disagreement of names. We're just trying to figure out exactly uh, what we're going to try to do on this. But – um, it's going to be, a, it, we're going to call it now just our, uh, our hog house, uh, Porter. I think that's the name that we came up with it. So we're going to do some, some negatives here. Um, so instead of the dog house, we're going to do something for our hog house highlights of the week. And, uh, I'm going to start it off. I, I didn't go too far into Mike Leach because I wanted to wait for this, but, uh, you know, I had said so many different times that I don't like the air raid. I've made that very, very clear, but I think that Mike Leach is a pretty funny guy. I think that he's got a lot of jokes. His interviews are great, but I'm going to play this really quick. Uh, th- for those of you that missed it, in the the uh, what what bowl was it? Cabo again? I know it was against Tulsa, but what was the? Was it the Armed Forces Bowl?
1: Yes, the so, Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl.
0: Yeah, Forces so bowl. <laughs> yeah, so it was the Armed Forces Bowl, and Mike Leach is sitting here. He's going through which I think this was great. He was going through the crowd and he was shaking hands, thanking everybody for being there. Hey, thank you for supporting us this season. Got off to a great start in Week One, and then it was kind of rough, but uh, there was a really big fight. And uh, I'll tell you what, I'll just say right now, you better be thankful those aren't my players because uh, they wouldn't be my players for very much longer. But here's what Mike Leach had to say when he was asked about the fight. Now, granted, before I start this, it was right after it had happened in the postgame presser. So he really didn't know all the details. He was on the complete other side of the field. But here's what he had to say about it.
2: Mike, quick, quickly on the, the thing there at the end, uh, is that a situation where either from you or maybe even above your head, there could be some kind of long-term discipline handed out to, to some guys? I have I have no idea. I mean, uh, I have no idea. I, uh, uh, I I don't know what happened exactly. I mean, pretty soon there's a mosh pit and people are jawing back and forth and pushing and shoving. So I, I don't know. And, and quick stuff. Mike.
0: I'll tell you what happened, Mike, is your water boy or whatever that has never played a down, never put on pads for your team, was going around and putting stuff on TikTok and Snapchat and Instagram about how he kicked this person's you-know-what, they did this, they did that, which ensued in a fight. And then your, one of your receivers, Malik Heath, cowardly, like the coward that he is, goes over and kicks a guy in the head and runs off like a little schoolyard girl. The most pathetic thing I've ever seen in my life. And then he gets on Instagram live. I don't know if it was live, but either way he gets on Instagram, puts it on his story, bragging about it. You have lost complete control of your team. You're a joke of a coach. You're a joke of a program. This is pathetic. The fact that we have this in our game, you should be ashamed of yourself. And all those guys that were involved, they should be on, They should not be on your team. Maybe give them a chance in JUCO. Let them revive themselves. But that was the biggest joke of anything that I have seen probably since the floor. was it the Florida International fight and Miami in 2006? Florida
1: International, Miami. Yeah, yeah, which you talked
0: about at k on the show on Friday. That just makes my blood boil. That kind of stuff has no place in sports whatsoever. And it's a joke that it happened. And the fact that Mike Leach has had hardly anything to say about it, it's just pathetic.
2: That shows you that this generation, there's no accountability. When you have your coach basically, I didn't see what happened. I don't know what happened. Whatever. You've seen video. you've I mean, and how dumb are these players to sit there and put stuff? They're, that's the world. They have to put it on Instagram. They have to put it on their story to make them look cool. But what they're realizing is, or not realizing, this could come back to criminate you. If they really see or get somebody hurt and there's video of you hurting that player, I mean, there could be charges on that. But they're thinking about being cool and being the TikTok and the Instagram and the, and the Twitter. And just for them to throw their hands up like I didn't see nothing, it's like a referee in WWE. I didn't see nothing. He didn't do nothing wrong. But what was funny is when he kicked him run away and then he act, he tried to go on Twitter and say, wow, well, if you've seen the full story. I'll oh, give me a break. And that's what he said. <laughs> I mean, he really come on there and was like, well, I come out of a pile and, and you didn't see the whole store. No, you kicked him run away like a little girl. And then you want to act all hard. If y'all want to square up and, and go toe to toe, man to man, throw punches, be a man about it, that's okay. But when you kick a man on the ground and then you run off and then act all hard in the locker room around your boys, it's easy to do that. But then another thing, guys, you're wearing helmets. You're punching people with helmets, I mean, that should be You've got a full
0: body one. armor suit on. Your that's what I've never understood is why people <laughs> no, try you to get fight.
2: The hard when you're punching a guy with a helmet and then you break your
1: hand and that guy that has yeah that, stupid. Then so you take your helmet off and swing yeah. it? I mean, come on. <laughs> mm. Mm. But yeah, talking about Malik Heath and we we saw in high school football right here at the end of the season we had eleven unsportsmanlike conduct penalties in one game. Robinson and Mills, and then there was a coach ejected. A lot of this has to do with what goes on in college football. And that's what irritates me to no end. You talk about being a schoolyard girl running away. Yeah, it's the biggest cowardice movie you could ever use. And Arkansas Razorback fans, we got lucky because this kid had his, had the hogs in, in the running. There.
0: Yes, he was. I'm pretty sure he, top he, two. He,
1: yeah. Yeah, before he went to Starkville. So, good riddance, Malik Heath. Uh, I'll never wish harm on anybody. But, yes, like Porter said, you could be charged with assault and battery now that you were smart enough to put that online. So, yeah, they get my come on, man, for the
0: week. Yeah, they just uh, – I'm telling you, man, some of these people, they just uh, – they truly don't get it. Just because you're on a football field, uh, I'll tell you what, it, it just doesn't excuse you uh, from from uh, any kind of outside charges that you can possibly face. But, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, I don't know. It is what it is. So – well, I mean, I think that will do it for uh, this show, guys. That was a good one, man. Uh, first one of 2021. I mean, I, th- does it feel any different? Like, do you guys feel like there's a weight up? Maybe just because no. it, it <laughs> still feels like the same thing? Yeah.
2: I had a pretty bad weekend, so no. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I don't know. That's kind of... How it is for me, too. I'm just uh, – I think it's just because I haven't gone back to work yet, but um, that will – I guess as as this drops, um, I will be, I'll be heading to work around – well, I won't be quiet at 6 a.m., but pretty close to it. But either way, guys, we thank you as always for tuning in and joining us. Um, again, if you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe. Anywhere you listen, we are there. Other than that, we will see you on Friday for Kevin Bohannon, Porter Hayes. My name is Kyle Sutherland. We will catch you next time.